Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, Geico can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners or renters coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance and more, and Geico is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to geico.com or contact your local agent today. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 47 of Get Out of Rap. They never thought there'd be six or seven. There's 47. And I am 47 on uh, Sunday, so a bit of synergy there. I am joined by Sophia Jakeman and Helen Manahan. Helen making her fourth appearance now. Um, Sophia, her, her first. Is it your first one on a podcast, Sophia? I think it is, Martin, yeah. It is, wow. It'll be the first of many. And um, it's it would be wrong I think to say Helen and Sophia are trainers at BPA because that's too limiting they are the beating brains hearts and souls of so much of our great content Um, (laughs) but we are here to talk about uh, training because it has been very very busy in the world of our training and people wanting training from all across the globe and we just wanted to explore why what we've learned and share that with you if you're in your contact center now and you've seen the same thing maybe you can relate or maybe you want to find out how how training's being done what kind of training is is really um, out there at the moment in terms of people wanting it we're seeing a big request for training in emotional intelligence and how to best deal with vulnerable customers so i'm lucky to be joined by two experts to to tell me and tell you all about it so Helen and Sophia thanks very much for joining me today it's a pleasure lovely to be here again yeah yeah it's great to be here too Martin and many happy returns for Sunday thank you (laughs) thank you very much I, I kind of earlier today I was talking to Helen before we were recording and I forgot what day it was and also how old I was so I'm going to blame that on lockdown. No change there then. <laughs> I'm so still ref- sorry, go ahead. Go I was just no, going to no. say, I was reflecting on you saying uh, the beating brains and I was thinking, yeah, there's, there's lots of beating brains in training, isn't there? <laughs> lots of, lots <laughs> of brain beating goes on. That's the idea. Shake a few things loose anyway. Sorry, riffing see already. What com- see what comes out. Shake some neurons <laughs> around. Um, Sophia, maybe I can start with you then. What if... Uh, how is training different, let's say, as a result of the of the pandemic? Mm. Well, it's certainly, I think it certainly is different. Um, I think, you know, obviously in terrible, uh, the pandemic has been terrible, but for the, the effects on, the impact on training has been, has been very exciting. So how we to sit those things side by side, I think it is a exciting times. I think that um it's certainly temporarily been transformational for the training business whether it will be long term is I think is a case of watch and wait and see but it's a very interesting question for all of us that are in the business I think it's created real opportunities um um across you know contact centers to to be able to um deliver more cost-effective training uh we're not seeing this obviously we're living in a virtual world so there's not the travel and time taken out in the same way um 
were allowing dispersed teams to come together and work for the first time. We know that there are people that have never, who would never normally come together and work together, are coming together now, sharing a common experience, being able to come face to face with each other in breakout rooms. Um, and uh, this is um, you know, great for team working, great for that sense of having an online community. So really exciting the way that we're able to um, get people together uh, to work on training and we can work in more bite-sized ways so we can do a little and often um, because um, the, the virtual world um, online learning allows us to do that so yeah really exciting times. Do you think that um, in, in the same way that people have been challenged in the contact centre world around home working and also the flexible nature of saying you know what, to start with, we're going to have to accept that our workforce might not all be able to start their shift at the same time. There's some more flexibility there. And that in that, that's opened up this maybe appetite now for using this time for kind of bite-sized virtual training. Hmm. Yeah. 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 So go ahead. Please go. I was just going to say, I think that to Sophia's point about it being exciting, it really is. And um, I definitely think that before there wasn't an appetite for that so much. And uh, what the pandemic has done, along with all of its many kind of, you know, um, well, huge uh, negative impacts is it, it has changed a lot of mindsets really um, around the ways that we can deliver training. And we flexed internally and quite successfully pivoted from from, you know, purely classroom based uh, activity to now as Sophia mentioned you know um, meeting online creating those connections um, and doing it in in ways that are you know more operationally viable and, and actually much more palatable so uh, a long answer to a short question is is yes it's been very successful um, and um, I can see it continuing at least in a blended approach or, or at least in terms of our offering. Does that mean, Helen, that um, you've you've had to think about how the content is is shared? What is that? How's that kind of manifested itself? Sure. So, I mean, dependent on what topic you're you're going to be exploring in a, in a training workshop, that the topics are the same, but the ways that you facilitate the learning definitely, I think, Sophia will agree, look, look and feel a bit different uh, in the online environment, if you want to say. Um, so, yeah, so we, we've had to come up with some more agile ways to kind of get messages across and make sure that um that people are kind of absorbing and reflecting in the same way Sophia mentioned um breakout rooms which you know it's not it's not exactly you know like a, a whiz bang piece of technology it's basically just making sure that participants in a larger session can have those kind of more intimate um times within a training um kind of environment where they can have some more um well richer discussions and then come back for plenary so yes the the methodologies have have been tweaked but essentially the main thing is still human human connection and we can do that we've realized uh, online just as well uh, yeah just as well virtually as you can face to face and there are benefits as well so I'm not saying I don't miss um, bricks and mortar training because I do but definitely I've I've been um, I've become a bit of an advocate for, for online sessions now too. And I think if we keep the, the human connection at the heart of the training we're, we're delivering when we're putting it together, 
when we're piecing it together and we're delivering it, we want to make sure that there's no opportunity for people to be passive in their learning. So having the screen between them, between you and I, uh, means that, that, um, that we still want to be active learners. So we have a duty uh, as trainers and leaders to make sure that we are perhaps even more than we might have done involving the learners at every stage, the idea that we're leaning in almost physically as well as not really to the screen, leaning into our learning. And uh, we have to be very creative and make sure that we are stimulating, engaging at every point um, because we recognise that that, that, can, that can be a barrier. That's really interesting. How do you, even at the, maybe at the start of the session then, so if it was bricks and Mortimer, uh, Mortimer. <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> yeah, bricks and Mortimer. It's a new sitcom. Um, you, you're in a class uh, or you're in a room and uh, people are coming in and you can engage with them and sense their body language and uh, do that maybe a mindfulness minute or what, whatever it is to bring them there. How have you had to adapt to do that virtually at the start of your sessions? Yeah, I mean, I could mention, Helen, our, and think about our temperature check, we often do. So one of the things we would do physically, we want to see everybody, screens are on. Um, we use, we get people to come on mic, but also use the chat facility. And even as people join, we might do a temperature check. So if one is, you know, got up on the wrong side of bed, really very low energy or got an awful lot on my mind, wish I wasn't here for training and 10 is raring and ready to go. Where are you on that? And there's no judgment and recognizing. So how ready are we for our learning depending on what else is going on? So we recognize that we all have a lot going on for ourselves at the moment. So just checking in. So it's a bit of a self-awareness piece. And what would I need to do to move myself up that score if wanted to get closer to 10 and further away from one in terms of how I'm feeling. So chance to share if people want to. Um, and uh, but just recognizing that uh, we are all at, at different places so we would do that temperature check can be really quite useful um, but really you know any exercises we can do to get everybody speaking um, as soon as possible um, is part of the engagement yeah yeah and that that temperature check that, that you're talking about there Sophia what we tend to do if we're doing a workshop you know over a series of modules that can become quite a powerful tool actually over the course of uh, well yeah. over the course of the course as it were dependent on what on what it is that we're um, that the training's about and we find that participants you know the first time they, they might not want to share which is is fine but by the end of it they're coming in and, and they've got that kind of almost like emotional shorthand for you know I'm, I'm at a five and this is why and they feel uh, quite happy to to share that and you can use it throughout the session you can use it at the beginning at the end if you're looking you know attitudinally about how people are feeling how open and receptive they are in that moment to exploring new ideas and and um, learning things and taking things on board um yes yeah, so it's really powerful and that's a good one and then never underestimate the power of a good old icebreaker i've what i've loved learning is since we've been um to sophia's earlier point we've got a bit more of a global reach since the pandemic started the icebreakers that work in various parts of the globe do differ and i find that endlessly fascinating just as an example if you if you're wondering americans yes. love americans american crowd always start with um tell us your name and your first car uh, and maybe even a fun fact about your first car so make model and what it meant to you and they just they fly with it it's brilliant i love it what were that well now now we've got our answer surely what was yours 
Well, I well, what about my first car? Yeah. Well, well, because I'm British. Um, well, I always position it as because I'm British. I don't drive. <laughs> <laughs> so my first car was basically my um, my dad's um, Beetle. So if anyone's old enough to remember Herbie, the the you know yeah. the movie, uh, it was a powder blue Beetle. Um, so I guess that was my first car, really. But oh. I don't drive. I, I'm I'm taking the training now, Sophia. Oh, well, I'm only showing my age here. I had a black Allegro. Or Austin Allegro. Austin Allegro, or all agro, as people call it, with a black vinyl roof and little sports lights. <laughs> yeah. I had um, a car that cost about £100, had no radio, had a hole, it was a polo, had a hole in the floor of the passenger side. Was it a Flintstones fa- car? Did it have a <laughs> hole? <laughs> My my favourite fact, the fun fact about this car was if you did a sharp right turn, it beeped the horn. And um, I lived in a part of the world at the time where uh, there were some dubious characters, <laughs> local characters that used to hang out on a street corner. And every time I went to work or uh, in the morning, I would turn right to go past them and beep the horn at them. And these weren't the type of guys that I wanted to draw attention to myself let's say so I had to think of a different way to go to work that meant I didn't turn sharp right past them there's a hole in between his episode in there somewhere (laughs) (laughs) definitely um I mean that's that's that any other icebreakers at work there's tons there's tons I mean and and it depends your favorites then maybe well, I think it depends as well. I mean, we do work with internal teams and other teams that we've worked with, you know, um, more than more than once we've got those established relationships. So I think whether it's going to be quite benign and saccharine or whether it's going to be something a bit more meaty d- depends on the dynamic um, that's that's yeah. at play within the group. Um, yeah, sorry, Sophia, I'll let you. Some of them, I think we, you know, whether we can have some quick ones if we're working in a bike, you know, in a bite-sized way with people, but I've delivered training over two days. Um, so two-day workshops, for example, and at that point, we really want to get in know, to know each other at the beginning because we're going to be working um, quite intimately together over those two days. So we've got to draw your life activity, which works really well, and people just pop it up on the whiteboard or share it where we get people to think about, you know, what's been most, you know, what's had the, you know, it might be a chronological look at their life, but also. What, what interests them, what values they work towards, but not using any words, so pictorially. And that can be really good at the beginning. We could just post those up as well and people get a real feel for, 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 for each other at the beginning and we can reference them as we go. We've got a point of reference to hook some things on as well. So that can tell us quite a lot. Icebreakers from a trainer point of view are really good if they also give us some information um, that, we, that can help us then frame the learning over the two days so we can understand our participants uh, particularly as many we've, we've never met before yeah and, and that is such a good point that even something as kind of you know innocent as a as an icebreaker activity we do tend to find that you can really that can then become a thread that gets woven through um the course of the training and 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 you always find links back to it and a bit of synergy there so yeah it can be really helpful i love that draw your life i seem to remember you a couple of years ago helen that's the first time I was exposed to um, something like that. And it definitely, definitely worked. Definitely. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, it's really, it's, it's sometimes the most simple things that have the most impact, right? 
Definitely. This is a slight tangent, but you guys, I definitely wanted to ask you um, about this, especially given your experiences over the last year. Um, like a lot of people, we're homeschooling and the girls, 12, 13 and 14, brilliant. Really adapted well. <clears throat> no, no complaints. But something that um, fascinates me, and I'd love to pick your brains on it, get your views, is both all of the three of them and none of their classmates, and I saw a funny TikTok about it, actually, from a teacher's point of view, none of them turned their cameras on. Uh, the TikTok was a teacher saying, hi, class, welcome. And then it went, hello, darkness, my old friend. And it's just a screenshot of all of their cameras turned off. Um, why do you think that is? It's, um, it's, an, it's death, really, to a training environment, I think, when you're just talking to some black postage stamps. Um, it, I, sorry, Spear, I, I don't know. I'm sure you've got thoughts on it as well. We, we speak at length, as you can imagine, about why it might be. Um, but we do everything we can to encourage people to, to, to engage uh, with, with a camera. You wouldn't go to a training room with a bag on your head. No. Um, so but it is it's an interesting point culturally isn't it um and we're we're very much at the new frontier of of what what good etiquette and if if it's etiquette or whether it's a well-being thing that's the thing we have to recognize that in the pandemic potentially forcing people who aren't really feeling for whatever reason like they can um you know be on screen to do so might not be beneficial for them in in other ways so um sorry i'm just riffing here sophia you might have something more coherent to say on the matter (laughs) No, only, cha- only I think something about there may be people's circumstances that make it more difficult and that's why practical things like having screen backgrounds that you can put on if you don't want people to see your background but I think the biggest difference um as you say Helen you know you come into tra- you come into a training and you don't have a bag over your head but the when you come into a training you wouldn't see yourself and I think for a lot of people mm. have consciousness of seeing themselves that we want to get over um and and how we get that so I'm on zoom with you now but I've hidden myself I'm able to do that I held that hide myself view um so for lots of people it can feel quite distracting so we need to find ways to help people overcome that and also get people out of the habit and this is where being active I'm all in favor of cameras on because I think it helps with the active learning because when we know psychologically when we know that we can't be seen we might be more likely then to engage in other activities whilst which might dilute our learning so no one can see me so I might just do this email here or do something else there or check something on my phone so I think there's something when we show up physically and and we can be seen then possibly you know even you know if it's unconsciously we are more actively engaged in our learning but this issue about self-consciousness probably is something that we need to find ways that we can do it on teams where you can hide yourself you whilst others can see you would be great yeah. or just or just enter as a cat yeah totally have a filter yeah. <laughs> choose, choose your own avatar put your own adventure um no there is something you're right you wouldn't sit and stare at yourself in a mirror or have a mirror there all day would you and it is quite as a human um yeah definitely not um beneficial i wouldn't imagine so let's um let's talk now about the the topic. So from the menu of courses that um, we offer you guys um, write and deliver, um, what have, what's been the fans' favourites? What have been the ones that you've kind of, over the course of this pandemic, both here and in the US, um, 
been the ones that have gone, you know what, there's people saying, we, we really want to train our guys on, on this. What's the, um, the topic that's number one? I think the, the first thing I, I would say is that it, it's the bespoke ones that I'm maybe speaking for, I hope I'm speaking for both of us here, that we're both most proud of and that seem to have real impacts. So and when we design a training program to meet a specific contact center or client specific needs for, you know, express customer needs, those are the most satisfying and where we can see real impact. And we've seen some real tangible, you know, measurable impacts on, on KPIs um, and also, you know, participant feedback, which is great, but it can only be measured on on successful you know outcomes right um it's not just oh yeah we all had a good time but um I'll let Sophia speak about it but the one that I see having huge resonances um and it sounds really kind of like grandiose but around the globe at the moment is the response to how how do you deliver an empathetic response to vulnerable customers how do you identify vulnerability and I'll let our subject matter expert um chime in on that now yeah and I was going to, I mean, I'd echo what you've said there, Helen, that anything that relates to, um, to answer a question directly, Martin, anything that relates to the human element, um, the relating skills is going to be top of the agenda. We're all human beings, aren't we? Having a, a, a collective shared experience um, mm. and, and the challenges of that. So human, the human element, human connection is more important than ever vulnerability as Helen mentioned so the idea being that we we would always want to consider um, we have a duty of care to our more vulnerable of customers that we mean those customers who are less likely to be able to navigate our services or products themselves who might be more likely to suffer detriment because of a vulnerability that they might have um, is always should have always been important to businesses that care um, however now we recognize that all of us can have been vulnerable at some time so vulnerability is widespread so we're living with this sort of backdrop of, of uncertainty of people not being not in control so people having reduced circumstances as a result of the pandemic whether that be um, you know financially um, people experiencing loss um, just emotional you know psychological effects of isolation all of that's in the mix and we're thinking so all our contact center agents, we're, we're humans ourselves, having that human experience, feeling vulnerable, whilst recognizing more and more customers are feeling vulnerable and unsure. Um, so it's top of the agenda, yeah. That always used to be one, when I was leading operations, or even on the phones, um, myself and being around other people, you know, this, I was young then, and it seemed like it was a bit of a lottery around um, empathy because you were dealing with customers who either situationally were vulnerable or the vulnerable aspect of their life was a big part of their life that they'd lived with for a long time. And seeing how it was just a lottery of how those customers were dealt with mm -hmm. because at that time, 20 odd years ago, we certainly were not trained on um using emotional intelligence and dealing with 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 vulnerable customers how would you how would you kind of answer is I, I i'm not expecting you to kind of like crystallize all of the great content but how would you answer that question around how do you take let's be honest frontline advisors still 60 70 percent of them are it's still a, a, one of their first jobs maybe 
they're of a certain age. How do you, how does the training help those people um, better interact with customers that are vulnerable, where maybe they haven't got processes to help identify, and they just have to deal with it as it as the customer comes in. That's, yeah. Have I made sense? There? I'm not sure I have. You, you certainly have. I think it's a, a a really interesting question, and you mentioned age there in there, but I think age and stage uh, come into play here, Martin. When we're talking about yeah. vulnerability, and we recognise that the what we talk about with vulnerable custom trainers, we want to we want to get to a point where everybody in the organization, everyone in the contact center is championing vulnerability. That it doesn't matter who you get on the call, as you say, this idea of a lottery, the days of it being a lottery uh, should be behind us. You know, we have this duty of care. And also from a business perspective, our, our, a vulnerable customer is is as likely or more likely, research suggests, to be a loyal customer if we treat them in the right way. We know we can trust this company, I've come to the right place, and therefore I'm more likely to stay, more likely to be you know, customer advocates for us in the future. So it, it really makes good sense. And I think that some people, depending on our frame of reference, it's a mindset thing, some of it, but it's also a skill set. So we want to work on both of those things with people. And we know that some people are really good at championing vulnerability. When somebody comes on the phone who's more vulnerable, some people are, and all our experience of training suggests this, I'm in my kind of comfortable place. I slow down. I really want to take the time. I had an agent working with you in the US recently who said, this is when I know I need to give my real, I won't do the accent because I'm not very good at it. This is when I need to, need to give, deliver my special care, the extra care. And I've got my hands almost like, you know, arm, metaphoric mm. arms around. We recognise um, that we need to work together um, to, to, to help them. And some people naturally have that compassion and empathy. They might also be able to relate to that vulnerability in relation to their own, the life that they've led themselves or people they know. But for others of us, it creates this um, increased pressure, sometimes even irritability, impatience. I don't want to be on this call. I don't really know how to react. They haven't noticed necessarily the person's um, vulnerable, which is the first challenge. So therefore, they might think that that person who's shouting down the phone or not seeming to follow anything they're saying is just perhaps just challenging and not vulnerable. Yeah. And that can challenge us. So we really start with really trying to just set the scene around what vulnerability is, um, get some kind of shared understanding, and then really just try and look, start to look at the cues and signs and signals, some that might be quite subtle and nuanced to understand we've got vulnerability with us on the call and that's our starting point and then everything else we do comes from there yeah quite a long answer <laughs> no but I, I I love that because then in my mind I'm thinking uh, if I'm a frontline um, team member it's quite scientific if then it's quite scientific it engages my I'm going to engage my listening skills far more than maybe I would have done yeah. because I'm looking for those clues and it's like a, it's a, that, that's the one thing to remember that, that to your point, if you're a frontline um, team member and potentially you're not one of Sophia's kind of natural vulnerability superstars, you know, you don't, for whatever reason, have that naturally empathetic response yet. The good news is with, with all EQ competencies, that they, they are buildable, coachable skills and that with, you know, with practice and, and with a bit of, of knowledge and, and good coaching, we can all get better at this. So the, these are superpowers that we can develop and hone. 
Um, and it's really important to know that that we might be, you know, a young frontline agent that doesn't have that frame of reference or that life experience to understand what, what someone's going through. And that doesn't mean that we're not, you know, we're not uh, caring individuals. It means that we, we simply don't know what we don't know quite yet. So that's what we can do. It's about raising awareness noticing then becoming super familiar with all of the signs of vulnerability and, and you know really understanding the topic so it's not just enough to know about vulnerability you have to know what to do about vulnerability once you've identified it and and the good news is it's totally trainable and coachable so well i say totally <laughs> blanket no, i i, I think you said that you gain a superpower by the end of this. <laughs> so, I, I know there's somebody, there's somebody on this call who's got a superpower and it's not me. But anyway. Nor me. What's the superpower, Sophia? Oh, I don't know about superpower, but we really know this idea of everybody, every customer um, wants to be treated like an individual. But our vulnerable customers, we, we, we could say that, couldn't we? Our vulnerable customers we absolutely need to, and one size won't fit all. And if we get this right for our most vulnerable customers, we really hone these skills around listening, around, around empathy, around questioning uh, effectively and supporting effectively, putting empathy into action. We're going to get it right for all of our customers. So, yeah. um, so what is it? So if we're talking about the superpower, it's about really being able to recognize those signs and then really be able to work, take the time uh just take the time and, and it doesn't necessarily mean in the long run it's it's longer actually because um we can have a more efficient call when we can really get learn to be aligned it's about alignment aligning with that customer from their from work from their experience and working with them to a solution there's something lovely in what you just said Sophia around that idea that how we do anything is how we do everything which I know is a, a um Martin's um a, a quote that he favours as well and there's something if we can get our response right with our most vulnerable customers and support them then it, it just naturally follows that we're going to be doing the right thing by all our customers and and we know because <laughs> we've seen it time and time again that if we get it right then then that has you know a whole raft of benefits both you know from a well-being perspective all the happy clappy touchy-feely stuff but also for the bottom line as well because to your earlier point um you know customers with vulnerabilities can also be extremely loyal if they feel supported so. yeah yeah are you seeing um i'm just thinking about the impact and the course content and that kind of bespoke um nature that you you bring to this are you seeing in terms of the attendees that there that there are all, all levels or is there are there a particular kind of stratas of the organization that uh, you're doing more training for or i think the topics are far-reaching and they you know they they can touch every element of a, of a contact center operation um and we naturally um offer our services for for all people uh it, it just depends where the where the angles are um your focus and your way in i think so it's like just different lenses in on a topic depending on whether somebody's dealing day in and day out with customers or whether they are you know dealing day in day out with looking after the people that are looking after our customers but also having those you know kind of those edicts from from the powers that be in a contact center you know um or whether it is the powers that be even and how they can a be more aware and tailor their approach and also be more compassionate etc um yeah 
And I would say um, to add to that from, a, from an internal perspective, we're working very much with frontline agents on this human element because they're the ones that are relating, you know, on every call. But we'll also want to be working and are working with leaders who are responsible, who leaders, et cetera, supervisors, people at that level, where they really want to make the connection between the learnings that are clearly happening during the workshops and seeing those uh, changes and making sure those behaviors are coached in mm. the long term into the business. So I'm sure that, that we've got that understanding that we might have raised our level of awareness, might even have raised our skill set, but how do we make sure? Um, and we utilize coaching for that, that we make sure that we're keeping consistently, we're making those moves and we're keeping on making them. Yeah. So we've got that continuous improvement going on. So we've been working at that level as well. It's absolutely crucial. Otherwise, some of the, potentially it dilutes some of the learning once yeah. to the workplace rather than actually ramping it up and, and reinforcing it and using it as a, a springboard. Yeah. yeah. And, and that there's definitely something in that that tailored element around just just really understanding why the training is necessary and, and what, you know, dynamics are, are um, in place at, at the time before we um, go in and um, work with a group of people or separate groups of people. Uh, you need real buy in from all levels to make it work. So for it to be, you know, synergistic, nice business word there um you need that coaching and ongoing feedback cycle to really embed the learnings and, and you you need people on board but part of what we do is is um helping well sorry is is exploring the why with people um just so it, it does have meaning and value and then and then helping people to own um their kind of their, their plans and their pledges for action when they get back out of the training space and back into their workspace um, just so they feel like they they own it and they've got agency and, and purpose and um, meaning going forward yeah do you think um just hearing you talk there and this giving people the superpower of um being able to interact with vulnerable customers and then that washes over to just dealing with customers that are not vulnerable and raising that kind of um, customer service level I'm thinking there must be positive benefits for the attendees of the training just in their life because it's not like you kind of you're not being taught how to do something specific for the job are you it's just how you interact with with humans have you had any kind of feedback for what, what are your thoughts on that am I off the mark there or uh, you're absolutely on the mark Martin you know we know everything happens everything happens in the relationship so then we were more than when we develop these skills, we can't help but take them into our other relationships as well. So, and we're not, we do, we, we do expect, we want, don't we, to be a professional. We show up to work as our professional adult, but actually the better we get at being in our adult, working, you know, on this, uh, I'm okay, you're okay place. Uh, the more we, we bring that into relationships outside of work and with our co-workers as well, and we've certainly, we, we've, I mean, we could, yeah. you know, I even had quotes of people saying, I wish, I wish I'd known this 10 years ago, or this might have saved my marriage, or I mean, we yeah. hear them. We, we hear them all. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, we hear them all. We've had people, you know, that that have gone. That those aha moments you speak about. They're just kind of staring. And this was in a bricks and mortar location, just staring at the the kind of uh, the whiteboard and and the session that we were all having, and just going this is I, I know that this is this is me this is me and my wife this is it this is <laughs> just those moments of um complete you know thunderbolt which has got it's transferable it's definitely a transferable skill yeah. 
And I think when it comes to the psychology of communication, I think it's a bit of education on that for all of us can help bring things that are, that those unconscious patterns may you know, make them conscious. And then once we're aware, more aware, so we raise our self-awareness and then we can notice and then we can make choices to do things differently. But it's that awareness piece, which sits at the, is the foundation of that. And that's a lot of what we, what we will do and try and reach those, bring those in, bring that into play. Mm. Um, yeah. Make new moves and then keep on making them. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the thing, isn't it? Because I think part of me initially was thinking, this is this is why you really need team leader buy-in because when you're at the end of your shift, is it harder to 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 do what you trained into people than at the start? You know, um, but actually, what you're saying is if this is this is just if progression and evolving you as a human. And how you interact with relationships then it's less about when that is happening yeah. not don't get me wrong i know the team leader still has to offer that kind of check-in support reminder help you know for people to deliver their best but it's it's not like it's a a system that they engage that you've given them the access codes to it's more about who they are as people in their human interactions yeah so we you know you know Martin, we talk about the human element all the time and it's not just hot air it really isn't it all starts yeah. with with um with the human element <laughs> god <laughs> can't, i can't actually verbalize it any better than that and, and to Sophia's point everything happens in the relationship right management happens in the relationship sales happen in the room everything um and we recognize that and we help other people make those connections as well so yeah it's not just a switch that you flick and then turn off and just you know it, it's it's with you all the time and it and it does have many yeah crossovers into other aspects of of your life yeah. And if we've all exposed it and we're all working on it, then it can become part of culture, you know, the way we do things. And it and it promotes psychological safety in the team as well. Mm. Yeah. And I think, I, I don't know where I read it, but I'm sure it was recent about, uh, there was a study that psychological safety is probably one of the key elements of high-performing teams. Yeah. You might have read that in our material. Yeah, it absolutely is. <laughs> so it, was, it was research that, that Google did initially, I think, and they found that the, one of the key yeah, factors for innovation uh, and insight uh, is, um, is, is psychological safety. Yeah. So basically just paraphrasing exactly what you just said. Yeah. What you uh, said. With the, but with the added note of it's also part of your training, <laughs> yeah so that idea that we can then if we feel that psychological safety there's benefits for for the team the business but for the individual the idea that I can show up be myself my contract I feel safe to take a risk safe to put my ideas forward safe to flag if I've got concerns um yeah those things that that's really the starting point of it so I feel safe enough to do that and that and- is going to be um help my performance yeah safe to be vulnerable say I'm not okay all of those things mm. and that does all come back to this wider cultural piece and this idea of buy-in and that it, you know you can't just deliver training one and done and expect um endless and boundless a uh, huge trajectory of an uptick mm. in performance there needs to be initial buy-in there needs to be buy-in from participants there needs to be you know um kind of a, a, a wider engagement piece from from the wider business uh, to really make these things have the impact that we know that they can have and and do have so there's lots of things at at play but sometimes it's it's just simply 
um, having those conversations and letting people understand the why, because we all, um, we fear change, right? So it can be really just important to uh, help people to see what the benefits are and then um, go forward with it and then incorporate that culturally into a, well, a coaching culture or a, at least a culture of positive feedback and where people feel safe. Naturally, notwithstanding the great content and all of those great things, why, why do you think it's, during, it's been during this period of the pandemic that um, operational leaders have been more open? I mean, we, it, it's just gone bonkers with us in terms of people wanting training for their teams. What, why do you think that is? I mean, I, I want to say something about, I think there's many, I think there's probably lots of reasons. I think one of them, I think there is something about how do we, and I think there's something about how do we, if we've got this physical distance from each other, how do we create that kind of psychological, what things can we do to promote that psychological proximity? And training is one of the things that, 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 that we can do, as well as, as, well as, as, well as having very regular check-ins, lots of coaching, et cetera. So I think it is, from, just from that point of view, even without all the learning and mastery, it has mm-hmm. a place. And it helps to promote that, this idea that we are a community and that where there are concerns about, are people going to be, feel isolated? Are they going to become, are they, because we're physically disconnected from each other, how do we bring people together? So I think first, not not necessarily the most important thing, but it, it really sits there without, even before we've got going on the learning. And that idea that we can, at times when we don't have control over certain aspects, perhaps even of our business, we feel, um, certainly what's going on externally to our business, um, learning, we can. So the idea that when we're, when we're in a learning situation, we all come out of this stronger we know from a well-being perspective if we took a look at the five ways to well-being that two of those you know keeping learning and and keep connecting um, are really key and both of those things will happen so we know when we have mastery over something we learn something we've got meaning and purpose it makes us feel good at times when we're perhaps not not feeling quite so good quite in control so that's a few thoughts for me on that yeah and again just to circle back to that operationally I think due to the way that people have have kind of removed all those whether they were real or just attitudinal barriers to working from home and to all kind of connecting in um, we've been able to flex and and offer really nimble solutions absolute god it sounds so you know (laughs) solutions training solutions Um, yeah no we've been able to just say hey you know come and join us for a virtual workshop where we're going to do some real work and really connect um, and people have been able to have uh, see the benefit and um, and do that and potentially they wouldn't have gone for it in 2018 or even 2019 mm. but come yeah. 2020 they were saying yes sign us up that's great and you must be excited about the kind of the first time it's been done I think with um, with us the relationship with the CCMA and delivering um, training to their members as well can you shameless plug i know but just for the um the course titles that you're going to be delivering over the next couple of months that are available yeah yeah go ahead yeah we're going to start we're going to start with we're going to start with vulnerable customers because we we just know it's you know we we uh we want to get 
as many people as possible to uh, uh, to connect into that topic. Uh, we're working with lots of organisations on it at the moment, but uh, I think it's an area we feel really proud, I think, almost to be a part of um, because of that duty of care um, and because we are, you know, vulnerability is, is, is so widespread. So vulnerability and then leading on uh, from that, we're going to look at emotional intelligence in the contact centre and really looking at that from all angles, what it's like to, 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 to lead and, and manage others, um, but also how that distills down into that relationship with the customer. But the idea starts with that self-awareness we were talking about earlier and then really learning to regulate and manage ourselves so that we can influence better in the relationship and how we work with others. Um, Helen, I think you're going to be leading on one with the quality in the um, yeah, assurance. Yeah. yeah, quality assurance in the contact centre, because uh, naturally that is also uh, what, what we do at VPA. So yeah, we'll be happy to impart some, some practical skills and um, knowledge in, in that area. And then managing change in the contact centre as well. So um, some good solid courses there, um, which are very much in our in our wheelhouse. Yeah. yeah, exciting. Well, I feel like I've learned something just from just from doing this. That kind of how so much is is interconnected, and this period of great enforced change can lead to real positive um, outcomes. Notwithstanding, it's it's the, the tragedy of the pandemic itself, but how it's just shaken everything up, and it's it's unleashed creativity and you know whether that's from born out of necessity or going we need to find a different way to do this or to your point about how do we both train our people but also keep them connected and that kind of the bonds that we have it's just been it's just been great to hear you hear you both um talk I just want to end with really asking you kind of individually the the whether there's been a sort of takeaway for you um personally through, through doing this through kind of interacting across across the globe with different people virtually what's been the kind of the your own personal biggest um change maybe starting with you Sophia oh <laughs> oh god there is no chance to change you see I had I was I was just formulating a thought there and I don't know whether it's about change or more about reinforcement so you can say it can be both questions but I think that that's so different that we are so more alike than we are different. And we have been working across the globe that we all, uh, that we are more alike than we are. We are so more alike than we are different, which I already knew, but sometimes we can forget that. And particularly um, in the times we're in now, we can get yeah. very isolated. So that normalizing, and I hear that time and time again with participants, it's so great to hear that I'm not alone here, but reinforcing our own view. So that shared collective, understanding that normalizing that we're all in this together and uh, we go through similar we're going through similar challenges um so i love that it's a really privilege we can work with people across the globe in that way remember that it doesn't matter where we are we're still having a here having a human experience and that is a, a really good basis in which we enter into um this training community together um yeah so that that stands out for me yeah real chance to grow i think in, in this current climate Thank you, Sophia. Helen? I've just been, when I've been listening to Sophia, it just, it just made me think about the, the fact that I've been struck by how, well, when I kind of um, 
came into the contact center industry there was a lot of talk about you know the robots coming chatbots you know uh, there won't be any more agents rah 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 and I think now I've been really surprised that in this kind of like forced push towards you know technological advancement and change which has been fab there's almost been a kind of more of an acknowledgement more than more than I've ever seen um of the importance of uh, the human element I don't know I keep saying yeah. it, but but what it you know the, the the kind of the what used to be called soft skills quite derogatory yeah. you know in quite a derogatory yeah. way almost it was just like a checkbox on a scorecard where they yeah. soft skills you know now there's a real understanding that this is the differentiator in terms of you know organizational success and and it's the key to well-being it's the key to happy customers and you know it's kind of so linked and enmeshed with customer experience um that i'd love i'd love to see this new kind of like refreshed appetite for for the the human side of things um and how that relates to contact customer contacts right um yeah bit of a waffle there but no that was i love it It's, it's as always it's just enlightening to to spend time with you both so um helen and sophia thanks very much for for coming on um if you are interested in the training you can access that through the bpa website or uh now the ccma um, website and as always if you do get the chance please do subscribe uh, leave any reviews of of uh, get out a wrap and also finally just please do check out the work of Naomi House and Jack's Place. It's a, a hospice that um, provides exceptional services for life-limited uh, children with life-limiting um, afflictions and their families. It's a great space, but it is massively underfunded, not wanting to get uh, political and, and dependent on contributions from people. So we have a partner, you know, we're in partnership with them, mainly through my auntie, uh, make it sound all grandiose, but it's because my auntie works there and they're, and they're bloody amazing. So um, thank you very much. And Helen and Sophia, thanks very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.